You're listening to Blissful Prospecting, and today we're talking to Evan Carlton about his journey navigating a recent layoff. So I've really only had two jobs as an adult. My other job that I've had officially, I guess, was a lifeguard in high school, which is not as exciting as it would sound. We lived in, why well, I lived in a, a town called Brookings, Oregon, which is actually on the on the coast in the ocean, but I was not a lifeguard in the ocean. It was in the city pool and it was really boring. <laughs> you basically show up and for 20 minutes you sit on a stand then you rotate every 20 minutes and then you go to the next stand and then the next 20 minutes you go like into the, like the little office area and watch really, really boring. Plus I had to kind of do all the bitch work too, which was, uh, which was not fun because I was the youngest person there. Anyways, my, uh, first real job, I guess you could call it as an adult was working at a mill. So I stacked wood on a cart for 60 hours a week. It was my dad's mill that he worked at. So the job was pretty easy for me to get. Didn't have to really job hunt, you know, put in an application. It was kind of a for sure thing. And I ended up doing that. And then the only other job that I had, I guess I had multiple jobs, but I worked at the same company was I went door to door selling house painting services for College Works Painting as a freshman. So this is 2008. And then I spent a couple of years as a sales manager, and then I moved down in California. I became their marketing director. I did that for about two and a half, three years. And that was the only company that I really ever worked at. I never had to job hunt. I never even interviewed for, for other jobs, actually, except for one. I accepted a position, actually, now that I'm remembering, uh, to do uh, a sales position for a solar company. So that's the only, I think that's the only interview that I've done. So my point in sharing this is that I've never had to job hunt before. And a big thing going on right now, obviously, if you're in sales is hopefully you haven't been laid off, but if you, but if you have, I think you're going to find this episode, you know, really helpful, but you know, people are getting laid off, you know, from their jobs and they're having to, to job hunt. And that's what we're going to talk about today. If this is the first time you've been tuning into the podcast, my name is Jason Bay, and I'm the host of Blissful Prospecting. And my goal with this podcast is to help you think outside the script in your prospecting and help you use proven tactics and strategies to set more meetings with your ideal clients. But today, we're focused on Evan Carlton, who was recently laid off as a sales enablement manager at a medium-ish size SaaS company. And he's actually really open with his journey. So you're going to figure out a little bit more about how we met here at the beginning. I'll share that. But the thing he's going to get into is his process for how he handled it. He's going to give us a play-by-play of what the first couple of days were like and what he's doing right now, ironically, to prospect for positions. And he's doing it a lot like how someone in sales development or an SDR, anyone that's doing outbound prospecting, a lot like you would do. So you're really going to like this episode if you currently have a job I think it's just a really great story, but if you're looking for a job right now and you're navigating a layoff, I think you're going to find a lot of comfort in knowing that there are other people that are going through this as well, and Evan's got a really cool process. So before we get to that interview, I want to let you know we're doing something really cool this summer. It's called Think Outside the Script, and it's a summer virtual tour. We have 40 of the biggest uh, names in sales and prospecting that that you've heard of, most of them. There's a couple that I didn't get on board, but most of them are there. And what you're going to like about it is it's 40 presentations and webinars that are live, but it's spread out over the entire summer. And it's all focused on outbound prospecting. So cold calls, cold emailing, you know, LinkedIn, there's some mindset and psychology stuff and that, that sort of thing. But you can check that out at tour.blissfulprospecting.com. Go check it out. It's free. It's live. You'll really dig it. We already have over 500 people that signed up in the first couple of days. So it's, uh, it's going to be fun. I, I hope to see you out there this summer. And without further ado, let's get into the interview. So we met because you reached out to me on LinkedIn. You're like, hey, Jason, I think I'd make a good podcast guest. And then <laughs> I, uh, I did some research and you're like, oh, cool, dude. Like, I saw you on a couple other podcasts, asked you what you want to talk about, sounded good. We had a really good chat. And then we scheduled a time to record. And then in between that happening, you reached out and you had some news to share about getting laid off essentially at, at, at your current job. So, um, and I was like, Hey, are you open to still hopping on a podcast? And 
you know, being the person that you are, man, I'm really glad that you're, you're willing to come on and, and, and talk about it. So let's start with that, dude. So what the, what the heck happened, man? Yeah. Um, thanks for having me on Jason and great, yeah. great to, to have this opportunity. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot changed since, since you and I first spoke. Um, I, I was, uh, unfortunately and, and kind of unexpectedly laid off at Matillion, um, where I had, uh, among other things, I, I came in and built and scaled their first ever global SDR organization. I helped launch a global inside sales organization. The SDR organization never missed their number for the year when I was leading it. Um, had a 100% retention rate in the org, promoted half the SDRs into other roles or lines of business. Wow. Um, built from the ground up playbook sequences, call scripts, email templates, onboarding programs. Uh, yeah, uh, really, really built a lot of things. At Matillion, um, was employee number 47 globally, uh, number two in the Denver office. Um, and then uh, watched that scale to over 200 globally and 50 in the Denver office. Um, so it was really kind of blindsided by it. But um, yeah, I, uh, I, was, I was unfortunately let go. I, I um, woke up one morning to a, a calendar invite from senior leadership with, with a very sparse agenda which was concerning. Um, and sure enough, uh, swiftly found out that my role as a sales enablement manager had been deemed redundant, unfortunately. And it's tough because sales enablement is this growing area now that everyone recognizes there's a lot of value in it, but I think the function is still maturing. And the challenge I had is that everyone at the business knew, you know, I guess, philosophically, right, the amount of value I provided, but it was really hard to quantify that value. I wasn't a manager. I wasn't directly managing anyone. I wasn't a rep generating revenue. And so unfortunately, uh, Matillion took very good care of me financially and otherwise. And I think they looked at my line item essentially and said, man, that's a lot of money we're spending for, for someone that we can't quantify the value they provide. And in a way, that's kind of on me. So I'll take some ownership for that. I Moving forward, I definitely know that um, if I were to continue in the sales enablement function, need to have really clearly outlined KPIs, right? And like measurements of success to know how I'm moving the needle and be able to point to that value. But yeah, sadly, sadly, that's, that's what happened. So, um, you know, I wish the team nothing but the best. Um, unfortunately, there were there were several other people at Matillion that were let go. Um, a group of people that I hired and trained at Matillion were let go as well. So it was a very sad day for, for everyone involved, but it is what it is. And I wish the team at Matillion that's still there nothing but the best. They got a great product, a great product market fit, awesome culture and team. I know they're going to do just fine. And if anything, there's a little bit of solace I take knowing that um, – kind of like one more, one more sacrifice for the team. I made a lot of sacrifices for the team and for Matillion. And I take some solace knowing that those people that I trained and, and hired and brought onto the company can continue to fight that good fight uh, because I'm no longer there, right? That buys them more runway and more time. So, um, yeah. Did you think that when all this stuff was going down that you were going to be one of those people that was going to be let go? No, no, I, yeah. there was a part of me that was nervous because I knew being in the enablement function, I was a bit exposed. I, I knew I wasn't stupid. I wasn't naive. I knew that Matillion took really good care of me. And I kept talking to my boss, my director saying, Hey, I want to make sure I'm adding value here. I don't want there to come a time when someone says, man, we're paying this guy a lot of money. What does he do here again? He doesn't manage anyone. He's not a rep. He doesn't generate revenue. He just supports the reps and enables their success. Well, how do you quantify that? And um, again, that's where I, I take ownership on that. That's a failure on my part. I should have been more proactive to make sure that we had those mechanisms in place to measure success of the role. So sadly, that's exactly what happened. Um, but I, 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 there was another part of me that thought, man, given my seniority and my tenure and you know, all these contributions and sacrifices I've made for the business and you know, scaling one of the largest teams in the, in the company globally, um, no way, no way, right? All my loyalty to the company, there's there's a part of me that just thought that I was immune to that or I'd be protected from it somehow. And uh, yet I was I was uh, let go. So it just kind of shows that it is just business at the end of the day, right? Which is, it's it's sad, but it's true. I love that company and the team we had there. At the end of the day, it's, it's just business, man. And um, economically, 
financially, the decision was made to let me and, and a number of other people go. Yeah. What were, what were some of the emotions and stuff? Like, what were you feeling, man, when you, so it sounded like there was this like sort of sinking nervous moment when you got the invite, but when yeah. you actually got the news and you were on a call, what, what were some of the stuff going on inside, man? Like, what, what were you feeling? Man. Yeah. That was, uh, as soon as I saw the invite, I knew something was amiss, right? Some, something was going on. Um, and so I had this sinking feeling all morning leading up to the call. And, um, yeah, it it, pretty swiftly, I could just tell from the tone of the, of the leaders that were on the call, um, the direction things were going. And then, and then they just stated what was happening. And to be honest, Jason, yeah, I kind of checked out mentally for a moment. I almost kind of like, like went into like shock. During, like during the call? Yeah, it was kind of yeah. like going into shock, like when someone gets a really bad physical injury and you just kind of mentally check out. Yeah. In the moment, I was there. And then as I, started, as I started to process what was happening, it was like I couldn't process it. And so I just kind of shut down for a bit. I just kind of, I could feel myself kind of turning off. The lights were going off, right? Like, um, but um, excuse me. Um, but yeah, as, as uh, the call went on, yeah, I was pretty, pretty upset. And, uh, you know, I, I was, I was polite and professional, but was still pretty, pretty upset and hurt personally. But, um, of course. the, the leaders on the call were as clear as they could be that, you know, it wasn't personal. It's nothing you did or didn't do. You did great. You did everything we ever asked you to do. You know, your teams never missed their number. I mean, you, you, you accomplished more than we could have ever asked you to accomplish. And yet this still is happening and it it is what it is. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely kind of withdrew during that call and was definitely pretty raw emotionally for the, for the rest of that day. Um, but you just gotta, gotta, I mean, immediately just like went for a walk to be honest. First thing I did is close the laptop and go for a walk and, Engaged my support network, right? Hit up my girlfriend, my my family, my close friends, and um, they were a huge help in those first couple of days of kind of getting over that. But it's like, what can you do, right? Like, especially even if you know it's coming, even if you have that suspicion or concern, it's still going to be a shock to the system. And um, I don't know if anyone can can be prepared for that, especially when you're with a company that you you really love and you've poured your heart and soul into, and feel like you, you know, you're, you're feel like you're a part of that business and that business is also kind of a part of you. Um, it's tough, right? No, absolutely, man. And the, don't take this personally thing. I, I've unfortunately done that to other people I've had to let go in the past. And it's like, how could you not take it personally? You know what I mean? It's, it's, how could you not take it personally? So yeah, I appreciate you being vulnerable, man. And and share that it's, I can totally see why, you would feel hurt by it. Of course. It's like, I've put all of this energy into this and I just remember how excited you were about what you were doing the last time we talked, you know what I mean? So I totally get that. Is there anything else that, cause the reason why we're doing this is for several, several reasons, but really you want it to be, when we talked about this before, it's like, Hey, what I'm going through might be helpful for other people. So was there anything else around? It sounds like talking to your family and your girlfriend, your support system was, was crucial getting outside, going on a walk, clearing your head. Is there anything else that you did to deal with this in the short term, you know, 24, 48 hours after all this stuff went down? Yeah. I mean, the, the first day was, was really challenging for sure, because I, up until recently, I had never been fired or laid off. I had only ever left positions to take other positions, often better positions at different companies um, to just kind of continue to climb that career ladder. So this was a first for me. Um, And so that I think for another reason too, not only was I very invested in the company, but just on a personal level, professionally, I had never been in that position. So it was was really a shock to the system. But that first day I was totally beside myself. Like I did, I didn't, I had no idea what to do. Nothing held my interests. You know, I, 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 for the actually, if I'm being honest, for the first couple hours, again, kind of talking about being in shock, I just kept working. I just kept responding. I, I just Yo, got you off kept doing your job. Yeah, I went. I went wow. for a walk, and while I was on that walk, I was getting IMs from SDRs and ISRs about questions about process or systems or hey, how do I do this? And just out of habit, just responding. I didn't know what else to do, so I was still trying to 
doing the job. I hopped on a couple other calls and, you know, kept it to myself. I didn't tell anyone what's going on. Right. But, um, uh, just kind of kept business as usual for that day. And then as the day wore on, you know, I realized like, okay, you gotta, you don't, you don't work here anymore. You, you gotta stop. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that first 24 hours was really tough. Cause I, I really didn't know what to do with myself. Nothing sounded interesting. It was depressing, right? It, it was like a, a quick, heavy blanket of depression. It's like, I don't want to go outside. I don't want to talk to people. I don't want to work. I don't want to, I don't want to do anything. Right. So just spent that day doing a lot of thinking and soul searching and just kind of looking inwardly. And that second day too, the first 48 hours. Yeah. That was another day of just like, I kind of gave myself a free pass. Said, you know what, man, like you've been going, go, go, go for the last five, six years. Do whatever you want today, whatever you want. Like you want to sleep in till 10, you know, have ice cream for breakfast, just play video games all day, like what, what, whatever you want to do, just do whatever you want to do. And so I kind of took that day for myself. And that was another day for sure, like processing emotions and just kind of coming to terms with the whole thing. And then it was the day after that, that I kind of turned the corner and I had, had already been engaging my network, right? And what, what did you real quick? I'm, how yeah. did you engage your network? What did, what did you say to people? Well, so this is, this was when I started engaging people was that, that third day. Cause it was yeah. still really raw. Day one was like, I don't even what's going on. Day two, I was still very, yeah, it's kind of lost. Um, but by day three, it's like, okay, this is what it is. I've, I've become, I've begun to come to terms with this. And I often gave advice to the SDRs um, and, and ISRs at Matillion. Um, I come from a background with a lot of like sports and athletics and, you know, my coaches would always be like, Hey man, you know, you want to, you want to bitch and complain? Like, that's fine. I'm, I'm here. I'll lend an ear and be a shoulder for you. But eventually at what point are you getting like a, a diminishing return on that? Right. It's, it's important to vent, but eventually you got to just turn it on, dude. So I'm here if you want to listen, but that's kind of the conversation I was having internally. How much longer are you going to sit here and like self pity and wallow? And when are you going to just get back on the horse? Cause no one else is going to do it. You've got nothing to be ashamed of. And so that was kind of like a, a mental process that took time to come around on. Cause I was, I was pretty embarrassed and kind of ashamed for the first 48 hours. Um, I didn't, I didn't want to tell people I was, I was scared to tell my girlfriend. I, I didn't want to tell family, friends. I didn't know how people would react. Um, but when I had that kind of mental, that moment mentally where I said, no, you know what? No. I'm proud of what I did and I, I accomplished a lot and I have nothing to be ashamed of. And you know what? Yeah, this happened. And so, um, I, I began just sending messages, LinkedIn messages, text messages, emails to, to folks that I'm close with. Um, and this was also kind of part of that support network process. Immediately it was like personal support, emotional support. But then as a second wave, it was more like professional support. And that's when I started reaching out to folks in my network, like, um, mentors, former managers, former coworkers, um, people that I've mentored, um, people that I've, I've went to college with, or, or just folks that I'm connected with on LinkedIn that I know are very influential or well-connected. And in that process, I began telling my story. And in a lot of ways, it's kind of like your pitch with your product. And so I see a lot of parallels between prospecting and sales, sales development and the job hunting process. And so what I found is that I was kind of starting to tell the story of it's almost like your pitch of your product. Here's what we do. Here's the problems we solve. Here's what customers can achieve. And I was kind of going through that with myself. Here's my story. Here's what happened. Here's what I did at Matillion. Here's what's happening now. What's, what's next, right? And in doing that, I, I realized that I needed to write my thoughts out. Anytime I've been going through a really challenging point in my life, I've always found it's really helpful to just, just start writing, get your thoughts out on paper. And so I started doing that. And, um, it turned into a several hour long exercise. I just sat in the sun on my patio and got a pretty good sunburn actually. Um, and, uh, just, just wrote for hours. And eventually that turned into the post I made on LinkedIn, um, which I've been kind of blown away by the support that I've received off that. Um, and I ended up maxing out the characters, the 1,300 characters, uh, exact max out for a LinkedIn post. Um, in that I got as much content as I could into it to kind of spill my guts and, that's what it ended up being is I, I created this narrative essentially of what happened and then shared that publicly. And that, that took some effort because we were talking about feeling kind of ashamed and embarrassed. My, my finger was on the trigger, so to speak for like 30 seconds of the post button. 
had it all drafted up and I'm like, do I really want to share this? Is this something I'm ready to share with the world? Is this still too raw? But yeah, I ended up deciding to share it. So you know what? Why not? Um, I, I feel like I'm ready. So I pulled that trigger and immediately just felt this cathartic wave, right? It was such a, such a good experience of just getting that off my shoulders and just saying it because at that point I owned it up, up until that point, I've been kind of like hiding it and ashamed and embarrassed and nervous. And as soon as I took the time to write out that narrative and then put it into a post and share it with the world, I just felt this weight lift and immediately just turned the corner mentally when I did that. Um, did you feel like you were hiding almost like a secret about yourself that you were feeling all of this shame and all of this stuff inside. And it's like, I'm hiding this big secret from people and I need to like, let it out in order to move past it. It was kind of like sounded very cathartic. huh? Yeah, exactly, man. No, I was, I was wondering, are people going to judge me? You know, I've, I've always advanced quickly in my career and, you know, taken these great opportunities and promotions is this going to reflect on me professionally? Are people going to judge me for this? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, again, like I said, as I thought about it, I got nothing, nothing to be ashamed of. And so I'm really glad that I did that. And um, truly, I mean, that was, that's my biggest advice for anyone listening or that might've been laid off themselves. The first thing you can do is like really just seriously take time to process those, those emotions because they're real. And if you don't process them now, or sooner, eventually you will have to later. So better to just do that now, get that mental head work done. And then once you've done that, you'll be in a place where you can then move forward. So figure out what that means for you. Is that writing your thoughts out? Is that making an announcement? Um, maybe it doesn't have to be something so public, it can be something private or personal or just kind of a, a mental th- process of your own, but you need to be able to turn that corner in some way. And um, that was kind of when I, when I turned that corner, it went from processing emotions and like kind of like self pity and, and all of that. The second I turned that corner, it was just like, all right, game on time to flip the switch. Um, I just want to get back on the horse. I've got a great narrative and story that I can tell now that I've put a lot of time into crafting and um, I'm going to go start spreading the word and letting people know I'm back on the market and I'm, I'm interested. So um, that was, that was a really big turning point for sure. I mean, there's a couple of things you did that I want to point out because it took me so long to learn about this kind of thing <laughs> was you actually took the time to process how you were feeling. And what I used to do growing up was I, this is up until like a year and a half ago, and I learned this stuff through therapy, but I would just force down all of the stuff that I was, that was bad. And what that actually made me do is force down the good stuff too. So I was like kind of muted emotionally. Yep. I would never get super excited about stuff, but I would never get super down. And the fact that you're able to do that so quickly, man, like hats off to you. That's in, if you can get through that process in 24 to 48 hours and like start to feel like you can actually move on, not just like stuffing it away in the closet, you know, uh, underneath a bunch of boxes that you'll never see again, you know, kind of thing. The other thing that you said that I think is so important for anyone else that has gone through this too, is this like uh, a validation of your emotions too. It's like, Hey, it's really normal that I would feel super beat up about this and all this other stuff. So it's like, I'm not crazy for feeling yeah. the way that I'm feeling. And I'm sure the support group and stuff you know, helped with that, but there's one thing let's talk about this narrative piece. And there's one thing I want to circle back to that we'll do a little bit later that I wrote down, but this narrative is so cool because that's what stuck out to me. Cause you sent me, I was one of those people you sent a LinkedIn message to. And I was like, I was like, oh God, this really sucks at first. And I was like, oh wow, interesting. He's already thought about like what you want. It wasn't this, hey Jason, this really bad thing happened. Can you help me out? <laughs> it was a really, really specific ask, and you made it really easy. And and unfortunately, I don't I didn't know anyone you know, off the top of my head that specifically that would, you know, be able to hire and need someone like yourself. But um, let's talk about that narrative. So you started out, you took a couple hours journaling. Is there any process to what you did? And, and I'll link up in the show notes to that LinkedIn post. I, that's what I was just pulling up. But was there any process to what you did or what you were thinking? And how did you get it into you know, something that ended up being, you know, three, 400 words or whatever it is? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's a book I read. I can't remember the name of it now. I, I'll have to look it up and let you know what it was. But, um, it's a book I read when I was going through a really challenging point in my life on some personal stuff about a year ago. And um, 
there's a line that always stuck out to me in that book. And it, it was, it was, a, it was like a self-help book talking about helping people to process like really challenging emotions during really turbulent times of their lives. And it was a really simple exercise. And all it was, I think it was like a Buddhist monk that like she, she it was a female Buddhist monk and she recommended this process for like process emotions. And it was simply like, just start writing. Don't think about grammar. Don't think about punctuation. Don't think about, you know, what is and is not socially acceptable or whatever, you know, literally just brain dump onto this piece of paper or laptop or whatever. I find that paper is better because computers or devices are so easily distracted on, right? You start writing and then you're on Facebook 10 seconds later. Um, so I like to just physically write. And it was really simple. The, the instructions are just write about what happened, why you think it happened and how it made you feel. That's it. And that's that. And I would just think about it in those modes. It's like, all right, what happened? Start writing. And it's just almost like um, stream of thought, stream of consciousness, right? You hear like mm-hmm. poets that do that kind of style of poetry. It's a stream of consciousness. What happened? Okay. Pause, come up for air. Why it happened. Stream of consciousness, come up for air. How it made you feel. Same thing. And then I go back and I read that to myself. And then I use that as almost like a, a, an outline or a place to work from, because then I take that and I start using that in a note on my phone, creating a post. I started drafting a LinkedIn post off of that. Mm-hmm. And I also started crafting messaging and creating that narrative off of that. So I, I, in a sense, it gave me ownership over what had happened to me instead of saying, oh, I got laid off and now I'm unemployed and now, now I, need, I need a job, right? It became like, hey, this happened to me. This is why it happened. It is what it is. But I want to take it to turn a a negative into a positive, right? Here's everything I accomplished in Matillion. Here's everything I'm proud of. And here's the ways that I know I can add value for other high growth businesses. And then, and then to tie it off with clear call to action. Hey, if you or anyone, you know, is, is looking for people or feel you could have someone in these roles and director sales development, manager, sales enablement, sales training or coaching, uh, please let me know. Um, and, and I've approached it very much like a prospecting process too, just exploratory conversations, right? Because a lot of times companies are tightening their belts these days and they go, oh, well, we're not hiring right now. That's fine. It's just like when you're a salesperson and you call, you cold call someone and they say, oh, well, we're not interested. We use competitor X, so we're fine. Or whatever the objection is. Um, hey, I get that, Jason. I'm just looking to have a conversation. Not, I'm not asking for your hand in marriage on the first date, right? I'm literally just looking to have a chat. And that's actually served me really well. I just got off a call with, um, um, I'm not going to name him, but I'm sure you know him, a gentleman over at Zoom who's who's well-connected. Same thing, just had a chat. And he he was impressed by my background. And um, he he immediately offered, hey, I want to go take your resume and go talk to some other folks in the business to see if there's a fit. Because I don't know if if we're hiring for roles that you'd be a fit for, but I think someone with your experience and skills could be a really valuable asset. Um, about half the opportunities that I'm in conversations around right now started that way. Um, they weren't hiring for the position, but I just put myself out there and just explained the value I feel I can, pro- I can provide and asked for a conversation, not a job interview or, hey, like put me in touch with the hiring manager. Can I just have a chat about what it's like to work there? And uh, that's opened more doors than I can count. I've, I've had to op- start following a Google sheet to keep track of how many opportunities I'm now in conversations with, cause I really am starting to lose track of them. Um, so in, in a lot of ways, I'm sure you can see some of those parallels. Good thing you built those, uh, prospecting chops, dude. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. I want to get into this process, but there's one thing that I want to get into first. Cause I think people are going to want to, to know this cause it sticks out to me is your mindset around, you said what I'm proud of and where I can add value you seem very, very confident right now. And you don't seem to me, at least the least bit gun shy about <laughs> like who you are and what the value is that you offer. Yeah. Is that the case? And if so, is there anything that you're doing to keep from getting gun shy and hesitant or fearful around like, well, maybe I don't provide the value. Cause that's what a lot of people I, I'm assuming would think in this case is yeah, it's probably me or there's probably something I'm doing. Like any advice or anything that you can share around that? Well, one, one thing I'll say on that is that the, the founder and CEO of Matillion, um, 
Matthew Scullion. He was gracious enough to do my exit interview himself, given, given my tenure and contributions, he personally volunteered to do it. So he was able to give me a lot of insight into the reason why the decision was made. And so that was, that was validating and kind of confirmed to me, it wasn't me. It had nothing to do with me or my contributions or what I did or didn't do. It was solely to do with the role and financially, that's it. Um, so that was helpful, right. To kind of hear from, from the top, right. That it's not just your, your manager or your boss's boss. It's, it's the top of the pyramid confirming, Hey, I promise you uh, it had nothing to do with you. So that was helpful. But, um, yeah, I mean, mindset wise, like I'm really big on, a. I'll, I'll circle back to an article that I have all my new hires read, whether it's Matillion or when I was at NetApp, I'd recommend it to folks at NetApp. And wherever I go next, I'll have them read it on day one too. It's day one, activity one. Like you do your office tour, see your desk, and then you sit down in a conference room and I have you read this article that Jeremy Levier wrote, The Mindset of a High-Performing SDR. I love it. I like, I, if there's any one thing someone can read, got to read that one. And it basically talks about at a high level, how to get over imposter syndrome. Cause a lot of SDRs are new in their careers. They're young. Maybe they don't know their space. Well, they're calling senior leaders doing this for decades. Right. And now you have to go sound knowledgeable and persuasive. So it's really easy to get that imposter syndrome. And he gets really tactical and explains how to get over that imposter syndrome. And one of the first things he talks about is like, hey, you're not, the prospect isn't here and you're here. You guys are on equal planes and you both have value to provide. So first off, like get that clear. Do not ever think of yourself as being inferior or below your prospects in some way. Knowing that you're, you have a value to provide is really important. Then of course, understanding your product and, and understanding their needs, right? Understanding how your product or service solves problems. That's, that's all the rest of it. But I've, I've always been really big on this concept of mindset with new hires and folks at Matillion used to joke that I was kind of like heady with some, some sales stuff. I can be very tactical and strategic too, but um, can get a little heady and almost like metaphysical on some stuff. I used to talk about manifestation a lot. Um, top basketball players, you know, before you shoot that free throw, visualize the ball going through the hoop before you shoot, do it again, right? Visualize that success and then figure out in your head, okay, what would that desired outcome look like? What would the steps that would occur between where I am now and that desired outcome, what would those steps be? What would that look like to get there? And then walk backwards and just figure out, okay, so I do this, then I do this, right? And so um, the, the, the mindset thing is really important. And uh, just knowing that you do have value to provide and then understanding what that value is, right? Um, and that, that takes time. It takes some time in your career to figure out um, your strengths, your weaknesses, and where you can really provide value. But once you know that, just having that self-confidence because, you know, I've, I've had some really high highs. I've had some low lows in my life and um, that's sales, right? <laughs> a lot of times in sales, you're on top of the world or it's, or it's terrible, right? Um, and one thing that I've just always found throughout my life, whether in athletics or personal or professional, no one's going to pick you up at the end of the day. No one's, no one's going to look out for you other than you. Um, so it just comes back to like, what do you, what do you want to do, man? You want to sit here and self pity. And that's fine. If that's, if that's where you're at mentally and emotionally, that's fine. We can do that. But eventually you have to ask yourself at what point do I need to just pick myself up? And I, I just truly have nothing to be ashamed of what happened at Matillion. I know, I know the value I can provide. The proof is in the pudding. Um, I just look at what I did at Matillion. Look at my, my track record of overperforming as an SDR, as a closer, as a leader, um, so I got nothing to hide there, but things that I'm doing to stay sharp, I'm doing things like this, right? I'm, I'm keeping my calendar full. I'm, I'm as busy these days as I was when I was working at Matillion today. I'm, I'm booked 8am to 6pm. Um, I'm just taking totally. calls with, with folks like yourself, with members of the team that got laid off folks that I hired. Um, I'm ch checking in with them, seeing how they're doing, offering to review their resumes or LinkedIn profiles with them, um, discussing potential opportunities I could have where I'd build a team with them. Um, networking with folks, connecting with old, old, uh, old friends, job interviews, of course, um, discussing consulting opportunities, just kind of keeping the saw sharp, right? Because the longer you sit on the shelf, the more dust you're going to collect. And, um, and, and the farther back on the shelf, you're going to slide, right? As others are added to that shelf and more layoffs occur. So yeah. I'm just trying to keep myself sharp and, and, uh, just keep having these conversations. I'm even just connecting with folks on LinkedIn. I've never met before just to talk shop. I was on the phone with a woman last week in New York. Um, we were just talking shop and talking about sales enablement, coaching, um, just just to just to chat. 
Dude, I freaking love it, man. Um, yeah, I just wanted to revisit that because it sounds like your head's in a good place, man. And I love your advice around keeping the calendar full. So yeah. you, it sounds like you're treating, hey, I got you know, laid off, fired, whatever you want to call it. But that's kind of like losing like what I thought was going to be a big contract. I ended up losing the sale onto the next, you know, kind of thing. And so like, you're just taking it as a bump in the road. Let's get tactical. So there's a process that you're using. Can you walk us through what a typical day looks like for you? Like how much time are you spending prospecting? How are you finding people? What is like the message kind of sound like that you're saying? Let's get, let's get super tactical, man. Cool. Yeah, I can, I can definitely do that. So, um, I'll admit I sleep in a little bit later than I did before, giving that to myself. So sleep in until like seven instead of six. Uh, get oh, up. Oh, God. So late. Yeah, I know. Right? <laughs> awesome. I, to sleep in a little bit. I, was yeah. used to, I used to have a pretty long commute into Denver, so I was up pretty early most days. Um, that yeah. supported the team in the UK. I roll over in bed at like 535, 45. Wow. I'm just getting lit up on IM already. Yeah. Um, typical. Um, so anyways, yeah, sleep in a little bit. Go for a run in the morning. Um, I actually do my first few calls out on the patio in the sun. Um, still doing the same routine that I had when I was working. I'm still getting going out, getting exercise, waking up about the same time. Um, you know, still eating healthy. Uh, yeah, I get up and my first, my first couple blocks of the day are just kind of like projects to warm up, get, get the coffee in me, catch up on LinkedIn messages, catch up on email. Um, from there, most of my time these days are, is blocked up with calls with, with, um, uh, hiring managers, with, with companies to discuss opportunities, but also intermixed in there. It's just like personal calls, just catching up with buddies from high school, checking in with members of the team that got laid off at Matillion. Um, I volunteer, uh, uh, as the chapter advisor for my fraternity at, at CU Boulder. So catching up with the, the chapter president to make sure everything's well there with COVID and all that. Um, so just keeping myself busy is, is really important. Right. Um, but then, uh, I block a lot of time every day, like two hours a day just for LinkedIn. That's all it says, just LinkedIn. And what I'm doing there is I'm going through my network and I'm going through old posts. I'm going through people that have interacted with my posts. I'm just scrolling through my feed and looking for, for names that jump out at me where I'm like, Ooh, Jason at blissful. Yeah. He's, he's, he's a really you know knowledgeable and well-connected guy. I should reach out to Jason, right? Or, Oh, Kevin, how's Kevin doing? We used to work together like four years ago. Oh, he's doing really well. He's a VP now. I should, I should totally reach out to Kevin. Right. So that's like, that's been a, in a lot of ways the process. And then it's scalable and repeatable because I take a lot of the principles from outreach, you know, hyper-personalization at scale, right? Yep. Uh, one of the companies that I'm talking to about some really interesting opportunities. And I take uh, basically that narrative, that message that I've crafted, and 90% of it's the same, right? But what I'll do is that first paragraph, I'll put in that personalization. So I'm not just being like, hey, Jason, like, hope you're doing fine. Like, right, and it's it's the same message for everyone. And by the way, I didn't, I I was on the receiving it. I didn't feel like it was some thing that you just copied and pasted to a bunch of people. So, and and I don't don't care, by the way, that 90% of it was templated either. Yeah, because salespeople understand that, right? Like, especially mm-hmm. when it's a long form message, it's long. I'm not going to rewrite that thing every time. Yeah. But what I am going to do is I, I want it to feel personalized because it is. I'm not just copy pasting the same message and blasting that to hundreds of people a day, right? What I'm doing is I'm going through, I'll put that message in. That's, that is the narrative, the template. But then that first paragraph, I will actually personalize in, in a very detailed way. Um, so it's not just like, hope you're doing okay, and then insert first name. Right. I'm actually like, Hey, Jason, like, thanks for being flexible to rescheduling our podcast recording. You know, I was really surprised with, you know, getting laid off. Hope you're doing well, man. I'm really looking forward to sharing my journey with you by the way. Right. And then in closing, also try to tack on a little bit more personalization. Um, I found that to work really well. And again, it's just exploratory and then make sure again, just like sales give to get right. Don't just come hat in hand saying, Hey, I got laid off. Can you help me get a new job? Or, hey, can you write me a recommendation? Or, hey, can you endorse me for skills on LinkedIn? Make sure that you're offering something for them, even if it's just the sentiment that you're willing to, right? Because I, the call I just got off with the, with the guy at Zoom, I told him, hey, you know, of course, if there's anything I can do for you, let me know. I probably have a little bit less leverage and influence than I used to, given that I'm not employed anymore. But if there is anything I can do, please don't hesitate. Um, so making sure that people understand that you're not just hat in hand, that if, if there is anything I can do for you, please let me know. Um, I don't know, maybe they have some new members of their team who would love to talk to someone and, and get some advice on, on their 
their new role or right, whatever it might be. So um, those have been kind of the, the principles that I've been using is, is treating the job hunt just like prospecting. I'm thinking about what businesses to target, just like I was thinking about at Battalion. Yeah, we had I, totally I was going to ask you real, real quick about that, Evan, the, with the targeting, the, how are you choosing the companies that you're reaching out to? Because what you said, mentioned earlier is that you're not just looking for job postings. You're actually proactively, and I've never had to job hunt before. So anything I have to say around job hunting is completely unqualified, but my wife is very, very good at this. Like she's able to get like jobs at Nike and like all these other companies by looking for companies that aren't actively like have job postings open. So the best jobs usually are not the ones apparently that they are job postings for, but can you explain just the thinking behind that and how you're actually choosing the companies that you're reaching out to? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's been a, a new experience for me too. Cause for the last probably four years, I haven't applied for jobs. I've been contacted by people for jobs and that's how I moved into the roles. So, um, yeah, I, I, I've been thinking about it again, not very different from what we were doing when I was at Matillion leading, um, sales development, also helping with enablement there and thinking about how to target accounts during COVID because towards in, in March, April, we had to refresh in a lot of ways our outbound pipeline because a lot of these outbound accounts we were targeting. Sure. It's a big whale of an account and yes, they match our TAM. We could feasibly sell to them, but why now? What's the compelling event as to why they need to buy Matillion or buy our product now? Right? So what we were doing is I was, I was encouraging all the AEs, ISRs, SDRs, think about it. What businesses in your patch, whether geographical segment, whatever, what businesses in your patch are either flourishing and seeing an increased demand for their products or services? Think like streaming, um, you know, food delivery services, um, uh, designers, you know, equipment manufacturers that manufacture PPE, right? Um, and, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. Those are the ones that are just most obvious. But there's lots of less obvious as you start thinking about it and really reflecting. You begin to realize there's lots of less obvious industries and verticals and companies that you wouldn't just immediately think of. Oh, wow, I bet they're doing great. I bet they, they have a ton of demand, like Zoom, for example, video conferencing. Think about um, Gong, right? Um, Gong, call recording. Managers, no one's on the floor anymore. Managers was already ineffective for managers to walk around on the floor and just kind of listen to calls uh, as they were happening. Well, now they can't even do that. So call recording the offer. Like there's all these other, again, that's like not the most obvious, but as you start to kind of peel back the layers of the onion, you'll realize what businesses are probably seeing that increased demand for their products and services on the flip side. And this is less so about job hunting, but this is more so for prospecting what businesses are having to lay people off and have to now do more with less. So Matillion, one of our value props was that it was highly efficient. And so you could, you could do a lot more in less time. So maybe a company let go half of their ETL and BI developers. Well, now would be a great time to look at a solution like Matillion, right? Because you'll, your team will be more effective and you can do as much work as you did with 10 when you now have five. Um, so that's been my process for targeting businesses is like, I want to make sure I'm part of a high growth company as the salesperson and as uh, sales development, a, a new, a new moniker I've been thinking about as a tofu enthusiast, um, top of funnel enthusiast. Um, I don't really like yeah. tofu that much, but, uh, <laughs> as a top of funnel enthusiast, um, greenfield and like growth opportunity is really big to me. So something that really got me excited about Matillion was the total addressable market. When I joined Matillion, they'd only tapped one and a half, two percent of their total addressable market. That got me out of bed every morning because I was so excited to be leading their global sales development organization for a company that has great product market fit that has so much growth potential. There's, you know, anytime an SDR or someone got frustrated saying they didn't know where to target, I'm like, dude, dude so so much opportunity. It's like I don't even know where to start. <laughs> Because um, I was coming from uh, industries like CenturyLink or NetApp, so in telecommunications or data center hardware, those are declining industries. There's a lot less greenfield new opportunity in those spaces. Yep. So I'm thinking about that. Like I want to join a high growth company, whether that's still in the cloud or, or data space, whether that's a SaaS company, um, sales tools, sales software, right? Whatever it might be, or even consulting, right? Um, all of those are opportunities that I think there's a lot of growth potential for the company, for the industry, and for their product or service. And that makes me feel good about that opportunity, knowing that one, I can make a real impact. Two, there's security in that. There's job security, knowing that business is going to keep growing, right, despite COVID. And then, of course, I'm going to, I'm going to start looking at my network. It's really simple. Um, I'm fortunate to have built out a big network on LinkedIn. I've got 12,000 connections. 
So I'll just go on the company's page on LinkedIn and it'll show you on the right side how many connections you have that work there. And I'll just open that up and I'll see if any of those connections, if I have a good relationship with them, if I know them well, and if I do, I'll open them up, I'll pull out my template, my narrative, I'll paste that into a message, I'll go in, I'll personalize that first paragraph, personalize the end, fire it off. And again, making sure in that message, it's not hat in hand, I'm offering to add value if I can for them. That's worked tremendously well. Um, people have been super receptive. People feel bad, of course, like no one likes hearing about someone getting laid off. So people feel bad and want to respond. And then, of course, they're like, how can I help? And the way they can help is like, hey, if you know if, if the right people at your org, I don't even, I'm not even asking for a referral for a job. That'd be great. But we don't even need to do that. If you just can help put me in touch with the right people at your company just to have a conversation. Um, and yeah, off the back of those sorts of exploratory conversations, I've teed up a number of really exciting opportunities where they've effectively said, you could be really valuable. We'd like to find out if there's a way we can retain you in our business. We don't have any positions currently, but let me go talk to my VP and I'll get back to you. Right. So, um, yeah, I found that to work well. Well, this is pretty cool too, considering this all happened less than two weeks ago. Right. Uh, it was two weeks ago today. Yeah. So yeah. pretty crazy. Um, okay. I want to get back to one thing before we run out of time. Cause you mentioned it a couple of times where you said quantifying value. Is there anything you're going to do differently in your next role to quantify and measure your value? <laughs> yeah. Um, so 100%. Uh, there's definitely things that I've learned from my experience in Matillion, whether it's leading SDR teams, um, coaching, managing, supporting ISRs, or just running enablement. Um, for sure, things that I will do different in the future around leading teams, whether SDR director, manager, director inside sales, et cetera. But definitely for enablement, making sure that the right mechanisms are in place because that's such a, a new and budding function. Everybody wants to do enablement these days, but I think a lot of companies are still figuring out what good looks like and how to actually do it well. Or what enablement even is, is always my big question. <laughs> it's, it's always something different at every company. <laughs> yeah. So like what, what I see so often and why I was a little hesitant to get an enablement to start, so often I see people in enablement are like, the top performing rep who got tired of chasing quota and just wanted a more relaxing job with a bigger salary or the product marketer who's never sold anything in their life, who's never talked to a customer in their life, writing battle cards and writing, you know, product pitch decks. Right. Um, and each of those people has their own unique value to provide, but you got to kind of land in the middle somewhere. Those yeah. all the, the top traits of a performing salesperson understanding the product and product marketing, and then also like tools and, and leveraging tools, et cetera. Um, but the, um, the, the only other thing I'd say there, I guess, um, making sure that the enablement role in the future is very clearly defined in terms of like KPIs, how success is measured. Um, it was kind of bootstrappy. I was kind of like the, the Sam Nelson of Matillion minus the blue hair or I guess green hair in that case. Right. Yeah. Um, I was just kind of empowered. Like, Hey, we trust you. You know what you're doing. Go do whatever you go do everything you've been doing for the SDRs, but now go do it for the whole sales org. So help be the SME for all our tools, write Outreach content sequences, put on workshops and enablement sessions and training, training sessions, coaching sessions with the team. And I was doing all those things and I feel like they were going well, Unfortunately, we just didn't have the mechanisms in place to measure the impact I was making. And so if I wanted to, I would have had to have gone back and done a lot of digging, going through data, pulling, you know, pipeline reports and, and bought, you know, revenue reports and then backtracking and saying, okay, so when I took this role and then during these, right, I'd have to produce all that. Much so like a sure, consultant does. Yeah. yeah right? Consultants, you know, I oftentimes I'm like, hey, I want a way to measure. We need to see what the improvement was because you're not going to want to bring me back and spend any yep. more money. Yep. And I'm not going to know if I did my job or not either. Yep. If we don't yeah. measure it. So exactly. how are we going to measure it? You know, so you're, are you saying that this should be something that you as an employee should be accountable for and in, in making sure that this is in place if it already isn't? I'm a big fan of the concept of extreme ownership. So it's like, even if it's not your job, if if the person who's supposed to be doing it isn't, isn't doing it and no one else is doing it, 
right? It's kind of like if you see yeah. a piece of trash on the ground, it's not my job to pick it up, but no one else is going to do it. So um, that's kind of how I view it. I, I, I know that's an indirect answer to the question, but it's, it's, it comes down to that. If nobody else is going to do it, are you just not going to, is no one going to do it because no one else wanted to do it? Um, and that's, that's where it falls on me. That's where I take ownership because at the end of the day, I was the one that was affected. I was let go from the business because I wasn't able to more accurately quantify the value of my role. Was that my responsibility? No, that probably shouldn't fall to the person in that role. But if, if, if it's not already being done, then I kind of take ownership for that. So I think moving forward, that's something I'd just be much more upfront about with leadership. I want to know crystal clear. We need to set and agree upon. What are the KPIs we're monitoring? How is it going to be measured? At what frequency is it measured? What metrics are we looking at, right? How do we track that success? How do we know that the needle is being moved? Um, and I have my own ideas on how to do that, but that's something that needs to be kind of mutually agreed upon um, with, with leadership. Dude, so. Love it, man. This was like action-packed with all kinds of goodies. Yeah. And uh, most of all, man, I really appreciate you coming on and, and being like super vulnerable about what, what happened and like sharing your feelings and stuff, man. It's, it's uh it's pretty cool that, that you're able to do that, man. Yeah. Thanks Jason. It, it's, it's a pleasure to be on and I'm more than happy to share kind of my, my experience and this journey that I'm on now. Um, as I said, I, I, I know the value I can provide. Uh, you know, my parting words to, to Matillion was just kind of like, Hey, you know, I forgive you guys. I understand the reason why you're doing it from a business perspective. Uh, I still think you're making a mistake and I will see you on the court, right? I'm going to go take my talents elsewhere. And uh, I think you're going to come to regret letting me go, but it is what it is. So wish you nothing but the best. Um, that, that attitude I think is going to, is going to serve me well. And I would encourage others that are listening that are going through similar experiences to find, find that value prop, just like a good salesperson. What's so unique about your product. What's so great about your product versus others. What's so great about you. If you can't sell yourself, how are you ever going to sell a product, right? You know yourself better than any product you'll ever sell. So if you can't sell yourself, then I, I, I have a hard time understanding how someone could sell a product. So go figure out what's so great about you. What's your unique value add? Go create that narrative. And um, from there, I think that that alone will build a lot of confidence and, and put you in a position to then start reaching out and telling your story. No, love it. And before you take off, where should people go to connect with you, man? Uh, LinkedIn for sure is where I'm most active. So just on LinkedIn, Evan Carlton. This was a fun one. I never thought that I would do an episode like this. Like we talked about at the beginning, Evan reached out and we were going to talk about prospecting and then he got laid off. And then we ended up doing a whole podcast on that. So I hope this was valuable for you because the the thing that I've never done, like I said, I've never had to job hunt and there's a lot of cool things. My favorite part was creating his narrative and that story and that process he went through and treats it and he's treating it like prospecting, right? He's even doing like this account-based approach and all this other stuff. So hopefully this was helpful for you. One quick favor before you take off, I would love to continue getting great guests on the podcast. And one thing that really helps is getting reviews on iTunes. If you could go to iTunes, you can either go to blissfulprospecting.com slash iTunes. That'll take you directly there or just search for it on your iPhone in the podcast app. Leave a short, honest review of what you think. It'll really help us grow the show so we can continue getting on great guests for you. And thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon.